Today we discuss the plan of God. Now I'd ask you to consider once again Isaiah 33, verse 22 as our text, which says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. How great, how great is this God who saves us not because we deserve it, but saves us for his own name's sake. We discuss today the plan of God, which is part five of this series of godly attributes that I want to discuss, and not godly attributes in which we display, but all of God, all of God. From our previous lessons in this study, we've noticed, noted God to be supremely and absolutely holy. And in extreme contrast to our other lesson where we are depicted uh, from his perspective, from the perspective of God, to be totally depraved. Ezekiel 18 verses 24 through 26 says, For when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? We might hear that and say, well, I'm not that bad. No, you definitely are. All men, all men, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have turned away from his righteousness. All have committed iniquity. All have done according to the abominations that the wicked, uh, of this world. Do we deserve to live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall be or shall not be mentioned in his trespass that he hath trespassed and in his sin that he hath sinned in them shall he die yet ye say the way of the lord is not equal hear now o house of israel is not my ways equal not my way equal are not your ways unequal when a righteous man turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and dieth in them for his iniquity that he hath done, shall he die. This speaks a lot to what we've already brought out of, of election, that uh, if one is elect, that does not mean the other is elect to die. All were appointed to death. All deserve death. It is the wages of sin. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Quoting here, of course, over and over again, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, which we've seen throughout our studies of the doctrines of grace over the summer. And we've seen now for at least five parts of this study. Uh, it's inescapable. It's inescapable. There are three points to this message here today. Atonement is needed. Jesus provided. And death conquered. How great thou art. We saw back in Genesis 22, for those who have been here for our Wednesday study, Genesis 22, verses 1 through 2, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt, or put to the proof, or put to test Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Isaac, or rather Abraham, was called to offer Isaac on a mountain in Moriah. For all intents and purposes, he was to be laid and to be slain. The command to offer up his son is given in such language 
as makes the trial even more grievous. And we looked at this briefly when we went through the study itself. Every word is a sword. Listen to this. The person to be offered, take thy son, thine only son, that son you love, not bullocks, not lambs, but Isaac. You know, for, for all of us, we need those extra descriptions, do we not? The son thou lovest, thine only son. But for Abraham, he just had to hear Isaac. If the Lord were to tell me to do the same with my Isaac, I already hear my son, my beloved son, this precious one that I've been entrusted with to steward, to lead, to take care of. See, we add all those descriptions in so we see how personal it was for Abraham, but Abraham only had to hear, take Isaac. And he already heard all those things. When we went through the study, we recalled that Genesis 22 was really the first time love was described. The really the first time love was called upon. How willingly would Abraham have parted with all the bullocks, all the lamb, maybe even all of his own servants to redeem Isaac? He says, thy son, not thy servant. Thine only son, thine only son by Sarah, take Isaac, thou son, whom thou lovest. This one that you've waited for for so long. And, and as we depicted before, it's not just this son that he loves, but in this son are all the promises that God had made. He is the promised seed. He is the one you've longed for, the one you've waited for. He's essentially saying, take this that I have promised unto you, in which all future favors rest, and slay him on the mountain. There's way more involved in this sacrifice than just killing a person on top of a mountain. It's not just any person, and in this person is not just any le level of promises. Each word a sword. The place, three days journey off so that Abraham might have time to consider and deliberately obey. This three-day journey, picturing the very willing sacrifice that Jesus Christ was for me, it was intentional. I think the length of his ministry was intentional, of course, but intentional also in that he, he faced the temptation of Satan. He faced the temptation of, of the Jewish nation. You're not him. He had so many ways out. Then he faced what we're getting into in our afternoon studies recently, the temptation of the church itself. Simon Peter saying, it's not so. You don't have to go and die. But he did, and he did it deliberately. He did it willingly. Thirdly, the manner. Offer him for a burnt offering. Not only kill his son, his Isaac, but kill him as a sacrifice, as the heathens would do. Kill him with all that pomp and ceremony. That would have been used for burnt offerings. To be purified of his sin, debt, Isaac was required to die. Same chapter, Genesis 22, verses 9 through 10. And they came to the place which God had told them of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood on, in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He's bound. He's as a dead man. He cannot do anything against what's about to happen unto him. He can't free himself. He can't slay himself. He can't run, can't hide. 
He's suspended, as we've said before, above fire, which typifies righteous eternal judgment. He's below the falling blade of Abraham, which typifies righteous eternal wrath. He is as a dead man between eternal judgment and eternal wrath. Any, uh, any man of any intelligence at all would say that everything is hanging in the balance and there's nothing Isaac can do either way. Isaac can't end it earlier, can't prolong it, can't save himself. How do men look at this picture and say, pray through? How do men look at this picture and say, accept Jesus before it's too late? Now, I think one in that situation is more likely to do as Job's wife encouraged. Curse God and die. Curse God for where you are. You can't save yourself and die. Hanging in the balance, but not in control. The payment methods was arranged and Abraham was administering as directed. Verses 11 through 13, And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Atonement is needed. Here we have the picture of how it was needed for Isaac. And we have a hopeless picture for Isaac, do we not? We really have a hopeless picture for Abraham too. He, he's slave to obey. He's slave to the master, to the father. This is what the father wants. This is what he's going to do. I don't want to chase that rabbit too far, but this picture is Genesis 22, one of my favorite and least favorite to preach, but most favorite to study because it's very difficult. And there are so many pictures there for us of the father and of the son, of the sacrifice, of the atonement, of uh, faithful obedience. We haven't even done this yet in Wednesday night study, but line that up with the faithful servant that we see a few chapters later. What Abraham had exhibited as a leader was later exhibited in those who followed after him. Those, remember the Titan fans, might know that line, attitude reflects leadership. Uh, it's very true. It's very true. Lead them up in the way that they should go. Atonement was needed lest Isaac should perish. Atonement is required and needed for everyone in this room. Your atonement will either be by the Lord Jesus Christ, in which you will be joint heirs then and by that administering, and you will enter into the kingdom of heaven upon your death. Or atonement will come from you for all eternity in hell. This, this isn't a hellfire and brimstone message necessarily, but it is the absolute truth. You have sinned, and you will pay for that sin. Either the Lord Jesus will pay for it for you in your stead, or you will pay for it for all eternity. You don't have righteous blood, so you can't pay for it in a moment. You have to pay for it for all eternity. You have offended in your sinful state the great God of heaven, the great God of all creation, this great and wonderful and terrible and absolutely holy God, you have chosen to make him your enemy. Now use the word chosen there. Some might uh, object to that. You were born in a fallen estate. You didn't choose that. 
But how have you willfully chosen to do otherwise since? We stay in that estate, unless delivered from that estate. The second point is Jesus was provided. Atonement was required and Jesus was provided. Oh, the, the imagery of the consecrated ram whose horns were caught in the thicket as though he had charged onto the scene head first. No, me, Lord, me, Lord. Take me, take me in his stead. That's how I see Jesus as my Savior. Because I was running hard and fast towards wickedness, towards an ever evil imagination that knew nothing else, knew nothing righteous, and desired nothing righteous. And yet the Lord comes onto the scene head first. Take me. Take me. Romans 5, verses 6 to 11, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that. In that. This is how he did it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can you picture him in any other way but running in head first to save you? Because he wasn't waiting on you. I mean, when we think of him running in head first, it eliminates the possibility that he was waiting for you to do anything, which is not supported by Scripture. He certainly wasn't. And when we line it up with Romans 5 here and understand that it was while you were a sinner, not when you were almost a saint. It was while you were yet a sinner, not while you were resting in purgatory, not while you were counting on candles, not waiting for a convenient season, not almost convinced. You were the enemy. What was Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9? He was a persecutor of Christ Jesus. He was yet a sinner, and Christ died for him. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Note here that the provision and type there in Genesis 22 and that of the perfect offering of Jesus Christ never sacrifices honor or law of God. Keep reading in Romans 5, verses 18 through 21. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, this is of Adam's fall, which is our fall, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Again, the idea of a free gift supports the, the picture or the imagery of him running head first in like the ram whose head is caught in the thicket. It was a free gift. Yeah, my kids know, and y'all don't blame Rebecca. She tries. But every time we get a gift for the kids, I cannot wait to give it to them. I mean, we could buy them a birthday present in January and they'll have it before Groundhog Day. I cannot wait. I run in head first. It's a gift for you! And I just dive onto the scene. Not because I want the glory. I want them to be happy. I, I have thought of a gift for them and I can't wait for them to have it. And don't let these three smirking faces fool you. They benefit from my eagerness. A few more days with something they shouldn't have had yet, every single time. There's something hiding in the garage right now for the youngest. And every time we walk through the garage, I face him that way. 
just hoping he'll look at it and be like, that, that. So I can be like, yeah, this is for you. Mom bought it. It's a surprise for you. Here you go. We should be excited here in the house of the Lord because that's how the Lord Jesus was with our salvation. You know, we, and we'll depict it as scripture describes it when we get to the crucifixion. And most of the time, myself included, preachers will say, he declared, it is finished. But what if he declared, it is finished! Here it is! This is the gift of God the Father for you! I've been waiting for so long to give it to you! Here it is! Is that an unrighteous picture of Christ? He gave us the gift of everlasting life! Do we have any reason to believe he delivered it with doom and gloom? Oh, man. No! The gift of life! Hooray! How great thou art! How long he sat on that gift? No, let's do it more accurately. How long he told them this is what he came to do, and how long they said, nope, 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 that can't be true. How long the Sadducees... And the far away, you see, he's kept saying, no, no, the Messiah is coming to deliver us from taxation. He's coming to deliver us from oppression. I'll take all that for everlasting life. He said, this is what I came for. We're going to see the transfiguration this afternoon. I told Sharon as soon as I finished that sermon, I can't wait. I can't wait. Here it is. Beloved. He wasn't going against the will of the Father. He wasn't going against his own will. He was fulfilling the will of God. If we can't believe that he was excited to die for us, and if we can't believe he was excited to tell us and prove to us of everlasting life, can we at least conceive the idea that he was probably excited to finish the will of the Father? Because that's what he said he was here to do all along channeling Justin Meyer today. This is pretty good. This must be how it feels. I hope he listens. Beloved, he was no doubt super excited to fulfill the will of the Father. And listen to the angel of the Lord in verses 11 through 13. Abraham, Abraham, here I am. You think there wasn't some excitement there? Don't slay Isaac. There's good news. There's deliverance in the thicket. There's a ram. The Lord will later provide himself a lamb, but today Isaac is spared. Woohoo! Hooray! Joy to the world's not a Christmas song. We can sing it here on this. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Joy to the world. Everlasting life has been made possible. What do we got to do to get excited about this? The first two points, atonement was required and Jesus was provided. It's okay for us to smile about this. It's okay because that's how we're supposed to deliver the gospel. Like we're happy about it. Here's what Milburn wrote. Mercy is displayed when every other attribute is fully maintained. His mercy cannot be exercised without consideration of his justice. It will never be exerted in a way to impeach his infallible wisdom. 
Never will its manifestation throw suspicion on the purity of his nature. His mercy will never prompt him to create a shortcoming in his moral excellency. At all times there is a consistency which pervades the whole of God's nature. He never contradicts himself in his wrath or mercy. God's mercy may be defined as his tender compassion shown to miserable sinners who deserve no mercy. You can be upset about the deserving no mercy part. You can be disappointed about that. There's a free gift of grace. Run headlong into the scene for the saints of God. J.E. Cobb wrote, it is his goodness of benevolence exercised toward the suffering and the miserable as well as toward the guilty. Robert Haldane makes it that adorable perfection in God by which he pities and relieves the miserable. A.W. Pink holds it to be the ready inclination of God to relieve the misery of fallen creature. There is nothing outside of God which causes him to exercise mercy. And all mercy is grace because it is all undeserved. Y'all ought to be excited about that. There is quite literally nothing you did, nothing you could have done. It is a free gift. I mean, here's the irony, right? If I reach into my wallet, if I ever had a $100 bill in there, and I pulled out a $100 bill and I gave it to you and said, this is a free gift, you owe me nothing. I just want you to enjoy it. Here's how we would receive it if, if, if it were the grace of God. Thanks. But if I give you a $100 bill, many of you are going to be like, two in particular, we're having Mexican tonight, tomorrow, Tuesday. And until recently, you'd have to pick the Mitoros that were open, but they're all open, I think, now, seven days a week. You'd enjoy that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Steve is like, yeah. You'd be excited about that, wouldn't you? Well, the Lord gave you everlasting life. That's everyday life. And every day after death life. Every day and every day and every day and every day for all eternity. And ten thousands and thousands and thousands of years, you have no less time than when you first began. It's depicted as amazing grace. How sweet the sound. From a how great thou art God. Not for a did okay sinner but how great thou art, God. This is the plan of God. It's confounding, isn't it? You didn't deserve it, but you got it. You're never going to earn it. You're never going to prove that you should have had it to begin with. But how great thou art, God said, here it is. And he sent his son to dive onto the scene head first. It's yours. I can't wait. It's yours. Think of how he delivers Acts 1-8, the powerful promise. He's like that BAM guy from the 90s who's always trying to sell us weird sticky tape and all that. BAM! Acts 1-8, powerful promise. BAM! There's more! There's a great comforter coming! Jesus says, I gotta go so you can have him too! Imagine Simon Peter. What? There's more? I don't know what I gotta do to get a smile today, but you're gonna do it because this is good news! There's more? Yes, the comforter's coming! He's gonna lead you in prayer! He's gonna, not only that, but he's going to keep Paul from going into Asia every time he wants to go in there. And not only that, while Paul's in shackles, he's going to taunt the Sadducees and the Pharisees talking about resurrection. He's going to get them all stirred up. 
but he's going to preach the gospel. And it's good news. It's very, very good news. Because our third point is death is conquered. Death conquered. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God. I mean, just let that sit for a minute. Go read Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. And then come back and read Romans 5.1. Peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access. Wait, there's more. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Think of these perilous times we've been talking about. Not much hope there. But Christians are called to rejoice in hope even during those times. How? Because your hope isn't based on this world. Your hope's based on that free gift. And not only so, wait, there's more. We glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. What he's getting ready to describe is that all of it is for your good. Tribulation worketh patience, patience, experience, experience, hope, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. That Acts 1 8 promise, which is given unto us. Bam! How exciting is that? That we weren't saved and left, we were saved and kept. Saved and preserved. The promise of perpetuity. Not left in the hands of man, but in the very stable hands of God. The reason Isaac was owed and needed to be atoned for was that he was not holy. He was not righteous and he was not equal to God. Some might say, well, duh. Neither are you, though. You're not righteous. You're not holy. Those you'll argue on, but uh, you're not equal to God. We'd probably all agree on. Well, if you're not righteous and you're not holy, that is the very definition of being unequal to God. Are not my ways equal, he says, and your ways unequal? Now, though, after receiving the free gift of grace, he was atoned for. Let us consider a ledger for the soul of the born-again believer. Debt on one side... Credit on the other, and next to debt says zero. Nothing owed. Paid in full, as the group was called last night. Paid in full. We recently paid off our van, our Odyssey. And, and that's something we carry with us for a long time. The frustration that comes from debt, right? Here's the frustration that comes from debt. Last January, we couldn't even get tags from a uh, renewal sticker for our tags in Mississippi because Key Bank was fooling around. Uh-oh, said their name in the sermon. Don't use them. I went even further than saying their name. Don't take on debt. And this is why. Couldn't get our, and some of you may remember this, couldn't get our renewal sticker. Month after month after month. Not because we owed money on it, but because they had a lien on it and they had all the power. They just had to send a letter for us to get this renewal sticker, but they wouldn't do it. And every person and every nation that this bank out of Cleveland that we talked to, and every foreign tongue, and the one that I closed it with a couple weeks ago was from India, because I asked her, 
They would say we're sending the letter. They would say we've sent the letter. And we'd find out in a couple weeks, nobody sent any letters. In this day and age where even fax machines are outdated, they're still required to mail a letter and no one did it. You know, first step to mail a letter, write it. Second step, put a stamp on the envelope. Third step, send it. And it was never done. Why do I say all this? Because that's what it is to be dependent on man. That's what it is to be in debt to man. To be in debt to God is simple. You must be atoned for. And you can only be fully atoned two ways. Dying forever or redemption through Christ Jesus our Lord. And for the born-again believer, debt is still there on one side, paid in full on the other. What was owed now equals what was paid. With nothing now remaining, it's finished! Rejoice forevermore! You shall have tribulation. Ye shall have persecution. Ye shall have rainy days. Ye shall have hot, humid days. Ye shall and might have snow soon. Right here in Mississippi. But be of good cheer. He has overcome the world. He has overcome everything you're going to face. Everything has not been invented yet that's going to come along. He's overcome it. Woohoo! Be of good cheer. Atonement was required. Jesus was delivered. Death conquered. Literally what we read a few weeks ago, that death itself shall be thrown in the lake of fire. Our minds can't even conceive of a day being created on the first day. And at the end of the Bible, death itself dying. But the Bible makes it very clear that that is indeed how it works. The Jews recognized this in Christ's speech, but rejected him due to their vain religious traditions. John 5, 18, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had the, broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Paul commends this virtue. Paul calls for the church in Philippi to not only remember, but resemble this truth. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above it, every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's two things that Paul writes here to the church of Philippi that uh, he describes as should be a mindset that be in them. And he says it's a mindset that was in Christ, that they be of no reputation and that they be found in the form of a servant. Here's your tough questions for this message, Christians in perilous times. Do you currently possess a reputation of yourself? And are you currently in the form of a servant? Are you ever serving? I'm too tired. Work took too much out of me. Quit. I couldn't do that. My 401k... My car loans, my house payment, move, sell them, quit. That's crazy. 
Up until 100 years ago, it wasn't. We did this. We strapped on society instead of the armor of God. We strapped on the belt of debt, hoisted it up with the suspenders of government. We button up our shirts of reputation every single day, every single time we put the world before Christ Jesus himself. I really can solve all those problems for you. If work's keeping you out of church, quit. I would never find another job. McDonald's is offering signing bonuses. You'll find other jobs. We're not going to find industries in America that put church first for very much longer. I can only think of two now. Unless they're, you know, smaller, privately held firms. Do you know where that comes from? Workers that put God first, saying, I will not work on Sundays. I will not work on Wednesday nights because I need to be there when the doors are open. I need to express my vote in the business meetings. Don't look around for who's missing today. This is for you. Lord brought you here today. If work's in the way, quit. Can't join the church because you're afraid you're going to miss? Then get rid of those things that's going to make you miss. Join the church. Be faithful unto God. Because it really is that simple. Maybe the reason you weren't so excited during these messages when I'm jumping for joy is because you just can't let go of these things. But you can. You can repent and let go of these things. And you should. Because the Lord can swiftly take away those things you use as excuses for not being here, for not tithing, for not serving, for not being of no reputation and in the form of a servant. He can make you one. He can bring you to your knees pretty quick. In the book of Acts, the entire book of Acts, really, the one man who's not in royal power that seems to have the most influence is Saul of Tarsus, a man of great stature as far as reputation, zeal, knowledge. And what does the Lord literally do to him in Acts 9? He brings him to his knees. He blinds this great man. He makes clear that he's an enemy of God, that he's a persecutor of God. In the next chapter, he makes clear that he, Saul doesn't even know what he's about to suffer for the Lord's namesake. That wasn't a threat. That was his ministry. And Paul of Christ, not Saul of Tarsus, but Paul of Christ pursued it willingly, zealously, eager to do more. You think he won't do that with you? Do you think he can't remove those barriers? He has made it clear that you are required to. I'm not going to say he's asked you to or he's requested you to. He's made it clear in his word. You are to. If you won't do it willingly and you're his. Remember, he describes himself as a jealous God. So if he's jealous over you, if he requires this of you, if it is considered to be your Romans 12.1 reasonable service, Man, I urge you, you better do it. You better do it quick. Well, how fast will he come upon me? Well, when he comes for me, he's coming as a thief in the night. He'll do it fast. He'll flip your life right upside down real quick. Serve him willingly while there's still time. Death being the inheritance of fallen man, 
has therefore been conquered. And I'll just give you the, the, the text, Romans 8, 1, uh, uh, Romans 8, verses 1 through 3, we see that we are free from the law of sin and death through Christ Jesus. Verses 10 through 17, I don't have to read that one, sorry. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Uh-oh, there's that ledger. Is it contradicting what we've illustrated? No. We are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds or put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Amen. That's, a, that's good news. We are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. We must repent, because children of God are not to suffer alone. There is therefore now no more condemnation. But we are to suffer with him, the text says. Bring our burdens to him. Bear our cross, as we so often hear quoted. These aren't just things on a task list that you are to do. These are privileges of the children of God. Join heirs with Christ Jesus. These are your privileges. Daddy, Daddy, help! Abba, Father! We have access to a throne that we were otherwise denied before the atonement of the blood of the Lamb. Access to the throne. Remember Esther? He's not lifted his scepter. He's not invited me in. I, if I go in there, I might die. But if I perish, I perish, she later says. You don't have such condemnation. You don't have such fear. The Lord has literally torn that veil. You have access. You are encouraged. Cry all the Father. You're encouraged to come out from among them and be ye separate. And the very next verse promises that he will be a father unto you. But he's not a father unto them. If you're going to keep staying at the neighbor kid's house, you're going to answer to their father. You're going to suffer like they do. He won't cast you out. You won't be lost. But when he goes to bring you out, you're going to feel it. Man, I remember that as a kid. Be back by such and such hour. And like you, I stretched it a few minutes just about every time. And my dad would stretch too. <clears throat> Come over here. It was always good, you know, to see my dad was concerned about hurting himself. He'd stretch first. The law of God is important. And when if you're charged to represent God and how you do so is important, do you do so with no reputation and as a servant? That is your reasonable service. That is the expectation of his children. That you will bring glory and honor unto him, and anything else is a sin offering. Anything else is not fit. Not fit for a king, as we'd say, let alone king of kings. Moses beseeched the Lord to show him his glory, and in his response in Exodus thirty-three nineteen, we read, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. 
I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. He was speaking to Moses of Jesus Christ. Moses requested to see him. This afternoon, we'll see that he did, no doubt. But that's not necessarily what Moses expected. But he was given the good news. I will indeed have my goodness pass before thee. If he didn't, none of us would see the kingdom of heaven. The psalmist gives us 26 reasons, so I'm going to give this to you as homework. Read Psalm 136 tonight, maybe every night this week, because the psalmist gives us 26 reasons to give thanks unto the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. This is a good month for you to read that psalm, a real good month. Read Psalm 136. Write it upon your hearts. There's more than 26 reasons, but the psalmist gives us a great place to start. Let us give all diligence tonight to read through this psalm and claim those reasons for our own. Let us give thanks for how great he is, for his wonderful mercy and precious gift of salvation that he has given unto us. Let us go ahead and stand and sing. I'll take this one off of Steve's hand as well. Nobody sings my favorite song if I'm not leading singing, so we're going to have to go get it. 378, where we'll never grow old. I have heard of a land on the far away strand is a beautiful home of the soul built by Jesus on high there we never shall die tis a land where we never grow never And this next verse speaks to right now. Right now, not uh, a promise waiting for us. Right now. Let's go ahead. In that beautiful home where we'll never more roam, we shall be in that sweet by and by. Happy, happy praise to the King. Through eternity sing, tis a land where we never shall die. Amen. Never grow old, never grow old in a land where we'll never grow old. Never. In a land where we'll never
crown is won and our troubles and trials are o'er all our sorrow will in praise the lord and our voices will blend with the loved ones who've gone on before never grow old never pastor say verse 2 is for right now. I believe the songwriter wrote it chronologically, and it's in the last verse that we go home and the work is done. That means in that second verse, those promises where we'll never more roam, and uh, we'll see the sweet by and by, and happy praise to the king, and so on and so forth. That's what drives us now. That's what drives us through this season, because God had a plan. The topic of this message, the plan of God, he fulfilled the plan and we can be happy and rejoice in it right here, right now, as we go out and share the gospel and see that plan continue. What a wonder that it's continued throughout the ages at the hand of man to share this gospel. Is your flesh not weak? How willing is the Spirit? <clears throat> 